Ladies and gentlemen, when Judy Garland first came to New York to be open up her really theatrically historic first engagement at the Palace Theater, she said she just wouldn't come to New York without a certain young comic. She wanted him on the bill. His name was Alan King. As you already recall, from the time he opened the Palace Theater, he became the rage of New York. Now he actually commutes to England because he's the number one comedy star in England. So let's have a wonderful welcome for Alan King. Thank you very much. Seems a little chilly for July 5th. I don't know. But uh, I, am, uh, I am very happy to be here tonight. Because uh, Ed has been so kind to mention uh, my commuting to England. I just had a great thrill. I was on the command performance for Her Majesty the Queen of England. I hope you don't mind if I spend a few minutes discussing this because with my background, you know, I'm not too familiar with royalty usually, you know. I once got drunk with Count Basie in Cincinnati. <laughs> and, uh, we were up in Glasgow, Scotland for the command. It was a great occasion. We were all standing backstage after the performance and the Lord Mayor of Glasgow just walked around with the Queen, you know, he was so excited. I wasn't because I was drunk, you know. <laughs> That's where they make the stuff, you know, up there. It's beautiful. It comes out of the tap. And, uh, I was standing there, and of course, very nervous, and Lord Mayor said, Your Majesty, may I present Mr. King from America? And she said, How do you do, Mr. King? And I said, How do you do, Mrs. Queen? <laughs> I don't think I'll ever go back. <laughs> no, but she was a very charming lady. Of course, my wife was there with me, but she didn't meet the Queen. Of course, that was when I was there. Now, to hear the story, you think that she doesn't make a move without my wife, you know. Because women lie a lot, you know. No, I mean this. You know, I've been married 12 years. I found out that when a man becomes successful, in any degree, it's the woman that changes. Now, I come from the Lower East Side of New York. I never met a comedian that didn't come from the Lower East Side. I know a very talented comedian from Cincinnati moved to the Lower East Side of New York. And uh, actually, I lived so far downtown, 14th Street was like Connecticut to me, you know. And, uh, <laughs> yes, I met my wife there. We come from the same neighborhood. In fact, my family had more money than my wife's family. And we were on relief. You can imagine what a thrilling <laughs> uh, Of course, to look at my wife today, you'd never dream she came from so humble a beginning. <laughs> you you think she came from a plantation in Virginia somewhere. And that's one of the reasons she's not too happy with me, because I'm the only one left that remembers where she came from. <laughs> Anytime she opens up a big mouth, I remind her where she came from. <laughs> I like to think back the old days when we were so happy, so much in love. We were married two years. My wife told me I was to become a father. This is a big moment in your life. I like the way the women tell you important things. They don't discuss it over the dinner table or during the evening. They wait till you're sound asleep. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> It aggravates them that you're sleeping. Now, my wife stays up all night because she hasn't got no place to go in the morning, you know. She watches the late show, the late, late show. She salutes the flag, sings the star spangled banner. She, she, waits, she waits for the thought for the day. You know, you can lead a horse to water, but remember what a wet horse smells like and all that. <laughs> Now, 
I was asleep, as I said, and my wife walks in. Now, when the woman walks in, you're asleep. They do little things to find out if you're really asleep, you know. Like, all oh, the lights go on, they slam the door, they screw it up. And then the cough. You ever hear a polite cough? <laughs> and she says, you up? Well, even if you're dead, you react a little. <laughs> then they get alongside of you and they stop at the elbows. You ever get the harpoon in the ribs in the middle of the night? Alan, if you're not doing anything, Five o'clock in the morning. I'm always busy at this hour. I play polo every morning at five o'clock. What do you want? She says, I don't know. She says, I have a strange desire for some exotic food. She said, run down to the All My Delicatessen and get me a corned beef sandwich with some chocolate sprinkles, some whipped cream, a piece of watermelon, and a sour pickle. Sleepy as I was, I realized that this was it, you know. <laughs> I had seen enough movies to know that this is the way it is. <laughs> you ever notice when a woman is expecting how she really takes charge of your life, the first thing, of course, the neighborhood wasn't good enough anymore. She said, I don't want my children growing up in this neighborhood. I can't afford where I'm living now. What do you want from me? The kid comes, you don't like the neighborhood, let him move. I'm saying I am. <laughs> buy a house. Now, you know, I've been making fun of the suburbs for many years, and this is actually the way I moved out there. She said, let's buy a house. Everybody's doing it. You remember. Ten years ago, the exodus from the city to the suburbs, someone cut a ribbon, they fired a pistol, and the land grants were out. <laughs> Onward to the suburbs, these gallant pioneers with the covered wagons and the mink stoles hanging out the back. You know, yeah. Everybody out there. I bought a house for $48,000. It was listed to sell for twelve five. <laughs> but I wanted extras, you know. Little things like I needed windows, I wanted a floor in one room. <laughs> own your own home. Save your money all your life so you become your own janitor. <laughs> That's all it is. The only time my wife talks to me is, Alan, take out the garbage. I say, we didn't eat. Where's the garbage coming from? Stand and see me sit still for five minutes. She collects the garbage from the neighbors just so I can sit up. <laughs> Suburbs, what a ridiculous place to live. Nobody talks to anybody. It's a competition thing out there. You know. I've got one neighbor I haven't seen in four years. He's hiding because he knows I want him to go partners on the hedges. <laughs> That's the big thing, you know, the lawns. You ever see Sunday in the suburbs? You see how ridiculous the men look? They work hard six days a week. Come Sunday, they're on all fours like dogs crawling around. They all have the same outfit, you know. Bermuda shorts, sneakers, bony knees. And they all have the shirt with the alligator on it, like a bag. We're all sick. How would you like to come home from a drunk on Saturday night and Sunday morning at quarter to seven, the neighbors are out? <laughs>
television rehearsal. My wife calls me on the phone, crying, screaming. I rush home. She's standing in front of the house. Alan, <laughs> Lorna's dying. <laughs> I didn't even know I was sick. What do you want me to do? <laughs> I've got a gardener. Oh, he's brilliant. Brilliant. He's telling me I have sour soil. <laughs> I told my wife not to marry me. It's hereditary. <laughs> oh, that's sour soil before me. What do you do about it? Gardner says, we use Kentucky bluegrass. That's the finest grass seed in the world. But they don't tell you it only grows in Kentucky. <laughs> I had to buy a racehorse for $3,700. Let him walk around the grounds every day. <laughs> think the gardens are the only thing to worry about? What about the decorators? Are they beautiful? My wife just found two beautiful decorators. Well, a set of bookends like this you never saw. <laughs> they come to the house once a week. They fly around the room. <laughs> they're always wearing sandals. Could be snow on the ground. They wear sandals. And they're always coming back from Italy. They never go. They're always coming back. <laughs> they keep saying, in this corner, we'll put some ivy. You know about ivy. If you have a piece of furniture that has a hole in it immediately becomes a planter. You know, the ivy, we got it coming out of faucets, keyholes, cracks in the wall. Did you see the new thing where they open up the drawer and the ivy hangs out of the drawer? And my socks and underwear are laying on the floor, but the ivy coming out of the drawer. And my wife keeps telling me the reason we live out there is for the children. Better schools, which is, of course, ridiculous. We live directly across the street from a public school, and my boy can't attend. We don't live in the zone. <laughs> they got kids from out of state going to the school, but we don't live in the zone. They tell me the zone line runs right through my house. According to them, if my kid slept in the garage, he could go to this school. <laughs> I'll tell you the truth, I could go on like this for hours, but I'll be honest with you, the only reason is I don't ever finish this thing. <laughs> I'd like to finish it by selling my house. <laughs> What a delightful audience, ladies and gentlemen, and a happy July 4th weekend, and good night. That's it. Actually, a problem. Fun, handsome, and the ladies at home were lonely, and he knew all of them. Even the wives who didn't get physical could understand the ones who did. Lust, just like love, turns the milk mystical, nothing their hearts would forbid. Anatomy of a milkman murder. Case and I'm taking it further. They closed the file years ago. All the clues have gone ice cold. But new evidence has come to light. And the latest technology might uncover the killer of this prodigious lover. The name of Lyle Turner. Anatomy of a milkman. 
the milk is bottled fresh. Lyle loads it in the back of his truck with a couple of crates of eggs. Betty Clark on Oak Tree Lane looks forward to 10.15. She'd hear the clinking on the porch and come out to shoot the breeze. Bully Bob was the husband and a raging drunken mess. Any love died long ago. She was just something he possessed. Rolling home from a night at a butchery, yelling and smelling of gin. When quiet when he found the milk and cigarette butt where it should not have been. Anatomy of a milkman. Aside and herded up his goons. Betty screamed, but he just stared and drove out beneath the moon. Meanwhile, our exhausted milkman is finishing his daily grind. Puts a truck to bed for the night when he hears a rustling from behind. Lyle offered Bob a bottle. At the moment he was struck and killed Bob laughed, there's no use in crying over blood and milk that's spilled They saw Lyle in the back of his truck And left his body on ice He tasted peaches and cream But he paid a heavy price And I mean, and I you Digging up the wine
being chased through a dollhouse by a white lobster that wore glitter and spoke with a French accent. <laughs> now, what this meant, I'll never know. But I do know if I told anybody, I'd be labeled a lunatic and labeled wrongly. My message for the public good. Let's say you're at a party. Or your boss is really nice. Except in an earthquake, you'd really be thinking he's old, he's slow. I can beat him to the Georgia. Oh, yeah, LA's a jammed up situation. I have enough faults, I wouldn't purposely build my home over one. The one time I was not even enough to think that generic food was for the elderly. tonight at 7 p.m. Uh, three channels in Manhattan or live on the internet at www.mnn.org channel 2 7 p.m. Big kiss. Bye-bye.